You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Good afternoon and welcome to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight and it is our pleasure and privilege to have you for the next two hours leading up to the White Sox pregame show. White Sox have the Cleveland Indians in town for game two of a three-game series. Sox dropped one last night, 9-3. The final score is Derek Holland struggled a bit in his four and a third innings of work. Danny Salazar was pretty good. And that's how we got to where we are now in this series. Today, of course, it'll be Corey Kluber going for the Indians. And Miguel Gonzalez pitches for the White Sox. Miguel coming off a pretty good one last time out. Hopefully he's able to summon the strength again to go perhaps seven and a third like he did last time out against the Cubs. That was the uh, White Sox only win in that Cubs series, 3-1 to the final there in the uh, first game of that four-game set against the North Siders. Miguel was terrific, seven and a third, one run, three strikeouts. We'll see what he's got this afternoon, or this evening, against the Cleveland Indians. Lots to do on the show today. I'm actually really excited about today's show. and Not that I'm not excited about all of our shows, but this one's a little different You know, usually we talk to coaches and players, minor leaguers, you know, all that kind of stuff around the game, reporters, of course, uh, to get the sense of what's going on with teams the White Sox are playing and with, of course, this team here on the south side. Today, we're going to do the same thing, but a little different cast of characters. It's Broadcasters Week on White Sox Weekly, and we talked with Hawk Harrelson, We'll talk with Ed Farmer, we'll talk with Darren Jackson, and we'll talk with Jason Benetti, all on the show this afternoon. We'll talk about a lot of things. Player evaluation, some of the guys the White Sox have here on the 25-man roster, some of the guys that left via trades over the last couple of weeks. Jose Quintana, Anthony Swarzak, Dan Jennings, David Robertson, Todd Frazier. I don't think I'm forgetting any, but it's possible that I am. There have been a lot of moves for the White Sox over the last couple of weeks. We'll talk uh, about the future of this organization. We'll talk about what we're looking at now for the last uh, two months of the season. And who knows? There could be, you know, sitting here on July 29th with two full days before the trade deadline, two full days and, you know, 12 hours or so, I guess, before the trade deadline, we'll see exactly what's left uh, for the White Sox to do as they approach what will be the end of – Kind of in a real way, the end of an era and the beginning of another here on the south side. So that's kind of the plan for the afternoon. It's it's, uh, probably less grandiose than I made it out to be. But you can get involved with the show and pick that right back up. 312-591-8900 is the phone number on the show, as always. You want to, you know, chime in with some questions, some thoughts about this club. We'll have Jason Benetti on right about 345 or so. And I suppose if you had a question for Jason, we could ask him. Uh, here on the show. We'll probably do that live, make that happen, 312-591-8900. If you're more of the Twitter type, no problems there. We're on that. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. That's where you drop us messages throughout the week, and we pick them up in the mailbag, mailbag segment, 
mailbox segment. I figure we're just going to rename it right here, live on the show. No, it's the mailbag segment, uh, and we'll pick those up a bit later. We'll get you the farm report, too. Do a deep dive into the White Sox farm system. We'll let you know who's hitting well, who's pitching well, who's been scuffling a little lately, who's been picking it up some, too. Uh, the crib notes version of the coming minor league report is that Eloy Jimenez is tearing the cover off the ball at Winston-Salem. Uh, that's your little teaser. We'll tell you exactly how many covers he's torn off baseballs down there in Winston-Salem. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, of course, one of the top prospects acquired in the trade of Jose Quintana to the Cubs. I, I want to get things started this afternoon with this. And feel free. You know, it's, it's your dime and your dance floor. So if you've got some things you want to talk about with this White Sox squad, You've got the phone number, and you've got the Twitter handle, and you can uh, change the conversation whenever you like by getting in touch with us. But where I want to start was this. Before we get to Jason Benetti at 345, and we'll follow up with Hawk and Ed and DJ throughout the afternoon too. But with the, you know, we, we haven't talked since the Dan Jennings and Anthony Swarzak trades. And I, I think in looking back through where the White Sox were coming into this season, looking back through spring training, and I think I go back to that point because I was just in the dugout yesterday talking with a couple of White Sox beat reporters about how how strange that bullpen kind of looked at the time. And I mean it from this sense. You know, you go to spring training, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. And you're never quite sure what matters out of what you do get. Coaches and players kind of know where they're at with things. But the, the results from a spring training game never quite mean what you think they mean. For instance... Zach Putnam, who is on the disabled list now for the White Sox, never has a good spring. That splitter never really does what it needs to do down there in Arizona. But it's kind of weird knowing that, you know, you're watching a major league quality pitcher who's just struggling mightily down there in spring. On the other side, you could watch some guys making a bid for a roster spot, showing really well and getting some strikeouts. But you can kind of, or at least teams can, kind of see through that too. When... We saw Anthony Swarzak start to pitch a little bit for the White Sox in spring training and early on in the season two after he made that team as a non-roster invitee. You know, the slider was nasty, the fastball good, and the command was back. You know, he's pounding that strike zone. And I think what's really interesting about the last couple of trades that the Sox have made, and we'll probably talk a little bit about Tommy Canely involved in this as well since he's a reliever who really reshaped who he was coming into this year and has thus... Uh, return some value to the White Sox. I I think it's just it's kind of crazy to look at, and Don Cooper points this out a lot when we talk on the pregame show, to, to take a look at some of the arms that the White Sox have moved for young, controllable talent, for young minor leaguers with some pedigree, for even in some cases a couple of minor leaguers who had, you know, in the case of Casey Gillespie, who was just acquired uh, the other day, for, for Dan Jennings, you know, a guy who had been a first-round pick, a guy who had had some shine, struggled a little bit. But, you know, these guys, you know, with the, with the pedigree and that kind of um, prospect status, you know, there's, they're there for a reason. And in being able to, to turn relievers who had pitched so well for the White Sox over the first handful of months into controllable assets, I think is a pretty remarkable thing. Because relievers in this game can be kind of finicky, a little bit, a little bit fickle. Sure, there are a handful of guys. You know, your Zach Britons, your Andrew Millers, your Aroldis Chapmans, those kind of guys. That, that top flight of reliever, David Robertson, for instance, who are always going to be good. Guys who are 
at a different level and consistent in a way that not every other reliever can reach. But for the rest of, you know, solid quality major league relief, it can bounce up and down from year to year. It can be a little bit volatile, I think is probably the industry term that gets thrown around a lot. And for teams, contenders to pick up arms that have had that are having career years. I mean, just look at where Canley and Swarzak were, for instance. I know we're going back a little bit to the trade. In reliever war, wins above replacement, Canley was seventh in the league. Swarzak was eighth. David Robertson, 37th. And I think Robertson's probably a little bit lower because, well, the innings were a little bit fewer, a few fewer. And he had a lot of couple of home runs here and there. Still, though, Robertson, pretty decent reliever out the back end there. In K's per nine, Canley is fourth in the major leagues as far as relievers go. 14.95 K's per nine. David Robertson, 14th at 12.6. And if you've got an industry strength, right, if you've got an organizational strength, and that is finding and identifying pitching, and that seems to be what the White Sox are strongest at, and I know they're, they're trying to or are working very hard to make sure that the organization as a whole has a top-to-bottom hitting approach and, and gets better at evolving young position players. But if your organizational strength is finding, evaluating, and enriching some of that arm product that you've got, and you're able to turn it around for the exact type of pieces that you're looking to acquire this season, I think you're accomplishing a couple of goals. And it's been... As, as much as it's been kind of tough to watch some of these young arms move into the White Sox bullpen and struggle through some innings for the first time in their major league trips, I, I think that kind of, you know, you can't overlook what the White Sox had done with some of those arms they traded and think what's next for some of the young ones that may be in the bullpen for the rest of this year and into 2018. This is White Sox Weekly. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, Jason Benetti, White Sox broadcaster, is going to join us on the other side. We begin Broadcasters Week right here on White Sox Weekly. You've got WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. It is Broadcasters Week, and our leadoff hitter is Jason Benetti. Who for the speed. The White Sox. Yeah, for the, for the speed. You always got to have a speedy leadoff hitter. Uh, Jason, we're starting broadcasters week. We'll go through you and Hawk and Ed and DJ Stoney is contractually obligated to not come on the show, but we love him anyway, and we'll talk to him in the in the meal room more than likely. Um, but I, I wanted to lead off with you because I thought of something really cool the other night. Yuan Mankata hits his first big league home run. He is obviously a centerpiece of this White Sox rebuild, and both you and Hawk got to call the homer because Hawk was obviously doing the game here locally and you had the ESPN broadcast. I wonder if that crossed your mind at all and, and what what the beginning of this rebuild has meant to you, if anything, so far in the first couple of days. You know, I actually didn't think about it until I opened Twitter after the game and I saw a couple of people had mentioned that. And it is kind of neat. I mean, Hawk and I are overlapping here at, at uh, the last couple of years that he's doing it, and, and uh, in a couple of years I'll, I'll be doing it full-time, as, as people probably have heard. And it, it is kind of neat. I mean, both of us getting to do the games and the way that we like to do games, which, uh, you know, we're, we're separate, different people. And he and I have talked about that, and he encouraged me to be me, and I love that he's him. And it's kind of neat that on that night, we both got to do it 
on a night that I think Yohan Moncada is going to remember for a long time and the people who were here are going to remember for a long time. And I think it's not lost on any of us that it happened against the Cubs either. I mean, you do things against the Cubs like Jose Valentin's impersonation list <laughs> and things like that. Uh, it becomes lore a little bit quicker. What, if anything, has surprised you about uh, about the White Sox moves over the last three, four weeks? I get that the contract is large. But if I am a contending team and I'm looking for the first or second guy off the bench to get me a good at bat and to be a serviceable guy, especially with a runner in scoring position to help cut somebody down on the left side of the infield, I want Melky Cabrera. Yeah. I know that there are other options, right? And when teams come in and you say, well, would I take Melky over this left fielder? Would I take Melky over? I take Melky over a lot of teams' bench players. And I know you're not going to pay that much money for a bench guy. However, he can be a starter. Somebody goes down and you put Melky Cabrera in instead of AAA outfielder X. Right. You're in better shape. I, I get, again, the contract is the albatross. However, I do think he will probably be gone from the south side before the end of August and the non-waiver trade deadline. I think there would have to be some talks about the money, probably. Uh, that's not my department fiscally. Uh, but I, I do think somebody should want him, and I do think somebody will want him. But I'm, I'm a little, just a tiny bit surprised at the lack of interest. Have you seen the conversation, your conversation with, with coaches, with players here over the last month, change in tone or focus at all? You know, as, as the White Sox bring in so many of these young guys... Ricky's talked a lot about the teaching of the game really all year. I wonder if now we start to see this as more of a, a constant conversation. Well, I think the one change in the rhetoric has been on Wednesday after the game, Ricky said basically, you know, we're trying to teach, and if the wins come, the wins come. Right. I don't think we were hearing that exactly at the beginning of the season, especially when this team got out to the start that it did. And there, there were some veteran presences as well, like a David Robertson and a Todd Frazier. And Derek Holland was part of that chorus as well. He's still here. But that group of people was saying, why not us? And, and that's, that's certainly within their scope of understanding of, of what they want to do with their careers. Uh, you get a guy like a Chris Beck or a Juan Manaya or somebody who's newer to Major League Baseball. They're not going to say, well, why not us? And they're too busy worrying about, not worrying, worrying is the wrong word, but they're too busy focusing on what they need to do to stay in the major leagues. Right. The David Robertson types and even the Giovanni Soto and Todd Frazier and, and that ilk, those guys really are focused on winning. That's what they want. And not that this team's not focused on winning, but they're, they've already established themselves. So I think that's where maybe uh, you take five guys out of a clubhouse sure. and the rhetoric changes. Talking with Don Cooper yesterday on the pregame show and with Aaron Bummer, who's 23, he mentioned, Coop mentioned, that this is really one of the first guys the White Sox have called up, arm-wise. I mean, obviously, Mankata's in the same category, that has uh, a chance to be part of the future, the long-term future. I know White Sox fans have been, in some cases, clamoring for a guy like Ronaldo Lopez to come up. They want to see that talent. Where do you think the future lies for some of those young kids in Charlotte and, and when, perhaps, their horizon kind of comes up here i think it's whenever the Sox feel like they belong um 
And it's interesting the way you say uh, Bummer is one of the guys that fits into the long-term plans. Uh, we saw with Jose Quintana, I don't think anybody thought, oh, by the time Jose Quintana is all through and the book has been written in Chicago White Sox lore for him, mm-hmm. oh, he's going to be a, a top-two starter. He's going to be a top-ten starter in Major League Baseball. So when you have a guy who's on the fringe of the beginning that makes himself a centerpiece, that's really where the high value comes in. And I know some folks have written about that, and I think there's there's a lot of – merit to that that at some point we're going to see guys step out of the zone of the fringe and become uh more uh focal points of this rebuild and when that starts to happen too there will be a net gain for the team however there are enough prospects quote-unquote prospects and i've hated that word for a long time since talking and it's actually funny the indians are in town frank herman who was coming up through the Indians organization, a relief pitcher, went to Harvard and uh-huh. ended up being in the major leagues for a couple of seasons' worth. I was talking to him in 2007 in Kinston in A-ball, and he basically said to me, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, yeah, if I get hurt, I don't get the same type of uh, attention paid to me as somebody who's a big prospect. So I don't really like the, the word prospect because I think it discounts the other guys. We need that label so we know exactly how many top-flight talents the White Sox have. But I don't like necessarily only focusing on those guys because, I mean, take even somebody like Danny Mendick, who's an all-star in Winston-Salem this year and then ends up in double-A and he's having a fine start to his double-A career. You never know who's going to become that next thing. Indians have a guy on the mound today that not a lot of people thought would be where he is at this level, Corey Kluber. Yeah, and when we were talking it on the, uh, about this on the telecast last night, the C.C. Sabathia trade, the A number one was Matt Laporta. Matt Laporta. Where's Matt Laporta? I mean, that's not to be critical of, of him. It comes out that way, but the point being, you don't know about anybody high or low. You can have the best thing you can do to protect yourself and and defend against possible burnout or overvaluing is have a ton of them. And that's why I love what the White Sox are doing. And that's why I accept prospect in this scenario, because you have a boatload of them. Talk with Jason Benetti, White Sox broadcaster here on White Sox Weekly for another minute or two. It's Broadcasters Week. You can uh, throw us a phone call, 312-591-8900, or hit us on Twitter. Uh, C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. He is at Jason Benetti. Uh, you're going to want to follow the CSN Twitter feed throughout the course of the afternoon. Because the one thing we haven't mentioned on White Sox Weekly yet today is that today is the 100th anniversary celebration of the 1917 White Sox squad, and and they have gone. CSN has gone full throwback. Will I you, look like I look like used car salesman, Mister Peanut. <laughs> Are you going to be? Is it Searsucker? Is the suit Searsucker? Oh. We going all the way back to that. There's no Sear. <laughs> <laughs> hats, hats for both you and Stoney. Hats. Yep. Stick mics. Excellent. Uh, Old timey black and white footage every once in a while. Uh, Sierra Santos has a, very, a frilly collar dress kind of thing going on as well. You guys, that's the whole crew. Sierra looks like one of the Skyler sisters. <laughs> uh, now, for those of you, we'll whiteboard that a little bit later on in the show. For those of you who missed the whole 1919 debacle. Um, Jason Benetti here for another minute or two here. Um, I'm wondering, to this, uh, Jason, as 
these last two months kind of go around, and we'll, we'll see what the trade line, trade deadline nets for the White Sox and what perhaps a, a waiver deal might go through too. Do you start to, you know, we, we talked about what depth does and finding some of these guys, whether it's an Adam Engel or an Aaron Bummer or, or down the line, do you start to kind of hone in on broadcast-wise? Here are some guys that you're kind of you should be looking at for the White Sox. Here, look at what this guy's done the last couple of weeks. How, how do you choose to frame that? Well, it's in a couple ways. But one thing that our crew did yesterday that I think is a is a sharp idea, and it was not our idea. I don't call my own ideas good. Uh, our producer John Walgren decided that hey, there are enough guys that have moved up a level that we're going to focus on some of the guys who've changed levels and see what they've done differently as Mm -hmm. they've gotten from level to level. So that's something that you'll see throughout the course of the the next couple of months. But I also think, you know, the numbers are the numbers. If somebody does something successful, great, we're going to show it. And if somebody's struggling some and we're talking to, say, Mark Rizalonic via Skype or FaceTime or whatever we're going to do or by phone, we're going to ask about that, too. You know, there, there's going to be success every night, so we do focus on the high notes in our one player that we identify over the course of yeah. each night in our minor league report. However, you know, if, if Michael Kopech suddenly has a downturn or whatever, or Carson Fulmer, you know, next time we talk to Mark Rodzalana, Carson Fulmer is going to come up. I, so I think it's a matter of just saying, hey, in September, the rosters expand. Mm-hmm. We're going to see some folks. I don't know who that's going to be, and I don't think the Sox necessarily know either. That's why when Moncada was on his way up, I got a lot of people asking, hey, when's Moncada coming up? And I just I don't think organizations really know until they hit the button. I think they really believe they know and that they're 98% sure, but boy, do things change. I mean, I, I, had, I had Bryce Harper coming through Syracuse in AAA, yeah. and if he goes one for his first 40 in AAA, I think he's going to get a 60th at bat. <laughs> if he goes 30 for his first 40 and they have a need in right field yeah. or one or both of those, he's coming up. So to say to, to think that there's like there are loaded dice on exactly when this is happening and it's just being concealed for the clandestine fun of it, that's not happening. I really don't think so. He's Jason Benetti of uh, the White Sox broadcast. I don't want to put you on one network or the other, but today we're on CSN if you're going to watch the television. Of course, you can always listen to Ed and DJ right here on WLS AM 890. It's Broadcasters Week. Jason, thanks so much for leading off. Appreciate it. Glad to. Good to be with you, Connor. Always great to see you. He's Jason Benetti. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Benetti. I'm Connor McKnight. News is next. You got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. It is our privilege to be joined by Hawk Harrelson, voice of the White Sox. Hawk, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? My pleasure, Connor. Well, I wanted to talk a bit about where this team is at. You know, we'll, we'll be a couple of days from the trade deadline, and I, I wondered first and foremost, you've been around this game for a while. Has this season reminded you of any others, or is there anything that's been close to this that the White Sox have been going through over the last month and a half with all of the moves that have been made? Yeah, this reminds me of a couple of, well, a few scenarios that have uh, witnessed in the in the past, in Major League Baseball, first of all, first thing possible in my mind is Kansas City. Mm. Dave Moore got over there and uh, convinced David Glass, the owner, that they had to uh, not contend, but to tear it down uh, and rebuild it. And uh, not unlike a house or uh, some places, somebody, you know, some people will buy a home just for the lot, so to speak, and they'll gut it out or tear it down and then rebuild it. 
And baseball is the same way. In today's marketplace, Connor, you've got free agency, which causes a lot of problems for teams who continually want to try to contend but don't have the money to spend And with the big boys. And that's the case. You've got to bite the bullet. And the best thing, not the best thing, one of the best things about where we are right now is the fact that it took a lot of courage for Reinsdorf to break this thing up and tell Kenny and Rick, let's do it. And I didn't we, – Jerry and I had a long talk last year at the end of the season, and I really didn't think he was going to do it. In fact, I recall driving home uh, from uh, the restaurant there in Chicago, and um, I was thinking on the way driving back to South Bend or Granger that he's not going to do it. And I remember telling my wife, Harris, I said, well, honey, Jerry, I had a talk, and I don't think he was going to rebuild the club. And sure enough, things went on and developed over the winter, and and Kenny, a lot of times, can be very persuasive, um, especially when he's locked in on an idea. And so, obviously, Rick bought into it. Uh, they went and talked with Jerry. He bought into it. And I was proud of him because of the fact it's a tough thing to do. The White Sox, since I've been here, every year since 1982, have tried to compete. That's just Reinsdorf's nature. People don't know what competitor he is. He is, uh, he's, he's something. He really is. And he wants another ring so bad. And none of us like the Cubs. So now when the Cubs won it last year, last year actually was the first time in my whole life, in my whole career, I've ever pulled for a National League team huh. to win the World Series. I was pulling for the Cubs because in my heart, I knew that if the Cubs won the World Series, that the Reinsdorf had a better chance of taking our club breaking it down, and then building it back up. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, the best part about it overall, though, is that the fans understand what we're doing. If the fans don't understand it, they wouldn't like it. If we were trying to go into the guise, so the pretense of, well, we're going to compete in 2017, then and we're playing anywhere like we are now, which obviously we'd be playing better if we were trying to compete. We just wouldn't be competitive, so to speak. But uh, the fans understand it. They bought into it. I bought into it. Connor, you have bought into it. Everybody's bought into the plan. And Theo and, and Jed did a great job with the Cubs. They got here. They bit the bullet. And uh, there for a few years, things, they were losing 100 games a year. But now look at them. They've got a young team. They're defending world champions. And they're going to be there for a while. And I'll tell you, in my opinion, I think what's going to happen is that hopefully by 2020, but maybe even 2019, we're going to be, we have a chance to be a monster. And if that is the case, then we'll have a chance to do something I've always wanted to see happen in my lifetime, be a White Sox-Cubs World Series. And that's, that's where the White Sox stand right now. We, we went from having the worst farm system Voted or 29, which is, you know, virtually the worst sure. farm system in Major League Baseball to now number one farm system in baseball through those trades with Chris Sale, Adam Eaton, you know, and, and uh, Juan Quintana. They did uh, the best job I've ever seen at getting value for dollar, so to speak, value for talent, talent for talent that I've ever witnessed in my uh all the parts of seven decades in this game. So 
I'm ecstatic, and I know that Steve and Jason are going to have a hell of a lot of fun doing the games here for a long time. Talk with Hawk Harrelson here on White Sox Weekly. Do you think that, you know, with those teams you mentioned, whether it's the Astros, whether it's the Royals, whether it's the Cubs, there are centerpieces or were centerpieces to that rebuild, whether it's Alex Gordon, whether it's Jose Altuve. Do you think that those centerpieces happened over time, or do franchises identify that player, whether they're within their own organization or in others, and go find them to be that part of the rebuild? Well, that's where your scouts come in. The name of the game in baseball is and always has been and always will be talent evaluation. Mm. If you don't have good talent evaluation, you're going to lose. It's just that simple. And that's one reason a lot of clubs, you know, when back in 86, when I was the GM, the club was really not in good shape. That's the reason they made a change in GMs. We didn't have any prospects in the minor leagues. And then what had to happen at that time was uh, the club, actually, the organization had to be cleaned out. And somebody had to clean it out, and I guess I, I was the guy that to, to cleaned it out. Well, then when I left, uh, I remember having lunch with uh, Jerry and Eddie and told him, well, right now you're on a level playing field, and if you bring somebody in here who is good at amateur scouting, you have a couple of good drafts. This ball club in 1990 will be competitive. Well, they did have a couple of good drafts. Mm-hmm. And by 1990, from 1990 to 19, through 1998, I believe if you check it out, you'll see that the only team in Major League Baseball that won more games than the Chicago White Sox were the Atlanta Braves. And that that had to be done. This, what, we, what Kenny... And Kenny's a terrific talent evaluator. And uh, uh, Nick Hostetler looks like he's got his on top of his game as well, our new head scout. So you combine that, then you've got a chance. But if you don't have that and you don't have good scouts and you don't evaluate the talent, you you know, for for what we got for Chris Sale and what we got for Adam Eaton and what we got for Quintana, you've never seen those guys. I've never seen those guys. The only thing that Kenny and Rick and uh, and Ricky Renteria have seen is a lot of video. And you really can't get a, a, a true thing because the mouth lies, the eyes don't. And right now, I'm just ecstatic with where the, we're well positioned now to go forward. And, and by 1919, and all these kids are not going to make it that we got. You know that. Sure. But there are going to be some that do. And by that time, then all of a sudden now you go out and you supplement with the draft because we're going to have a high draft choice uh, this, after the season's over. And we'll probably have a pretty high draft choice next year. And if they make a good choice in those two draft choices, it could happen by 1919. This club would be very competitive in the American League uh, Central. And that's all you want to do. You want to be competitive, and you want to be able to control your own destiny. And if you can do that, then you got a chance to win. Hawk, other than other than the massive the difference in free agent dollars between you know that 1988 kind of beginning of a of a rebuild then and then this one now, other than just the sheer amount of money that's changed in the game, is there a big difference for you in what a team needs to do to rebuild the way? that team did in the late 80s and this team is choosing to do now? Yeah, there is a big difference, and it's how you go about it. 
But the first thing you got to do in today's game is like date more stuff to model in Kansas City. Hmm. When he was rebuilding that team, you know, they got some pretty good first-round draft choice there. They got, you know, Mastakis, and they got Hosmer, and they got uh, some pitchers, a couple of pitchers. But he started building up with the idea they're going to get a tremendous bullpen. And look what happened. We used to kill those guys. We were a long time there. We just, Kansas City couldn't beat us. Then all of a sudden, Dayton Moore comes in, tears it down, starts building up that bullpen. And right now what the baseball has gotten to be is a battle of bullpen. Just that simple. And you have to try to give your manager, if you're the GM, you have to try to give your manager a team that he can manage a six-inning game. And it's like golf. If you and I go out and play golf and we have the, the end of our round, so to speak, of our how many holes we're going to play, if I total it up and I only have to play six holes and you got to play seven, I'm probably going to beat you a hell a lot more than you're going to beat me. You beat me if you play Same nine. Thing. Well, you know, it's the same thing. If, if, like Fanella, when he was in Seattle, Louie built that bullpen up out there, and he only had to manage a six-inning game. Yeah. And Ned Yost at Kansas City only had to manage a six-inning game. Right now, uh, you take Tito in Cleveland. He only has to manage a six-inning game with that bullpen he's got. That's the reason that they're going to wind up winning this thing in the American League Central again, you know, barring a lot of serious injuries. Because that bullpen is just without question the best. And now for the last five or six years, Kansas City's bullpen was the best. They came within two outs of winning two consecutive world championships. And they did it because Dayton gave Ned a club that he only had to manage a six-inning game. And when you can do that, it changes your whole philosophy in managing. It's 39% of the time the team at home, if they score first, they win, no, excuse me, 60 if the home team scores first, they win 69% of the game. If the team scores first, the visiting team scores first, they win 67% of the time. You're going to see the bullpen come into play more and more down the road, and you're going to see more and more managers like Madden's doing it now in Chicago. He's front-loading his lineup because you're going to have, you're going to have Rizzo and you're going to have uh, uh, Bryant and Rizzo with a chance to get more uh, one more bat in that game. Now, you want your best hitters to go to the plate and have that chance to have that one extra bat in the game, and that you're going to see managers change the way they, they structure the lineups. You're going to see managers change the way they structure infield in, infield middle, infield back. You're going to see them on shift. So we're going to see a revolution, so to speak, and a different change in the game of baseball. It's not going to be like it's been only because it doesn't make any difference what your starters. The starters today are only there to protect the bullpen. Mm. Starters got to try to give you six innings, and in some cases, maybe on some days, seven. But they're not going to give you more than that. We saw with the White Sox back in 05, the last time in history that you'll ever see four complete, four consecutive complete games. So that's how the game has changed. It's changed uh, because when I played, the mantra was, you're only going to go as far as your starters will take you. Today, the mantra is you're only going to go as far as that bullpen will take you. Because if the guy goes six innings and he shuts them down, there are no runs or one run, and it's a close ball game and all of a sudden your bullpen comes in uh, and they blow it, they give up two or three or four runs, you're going to lose. 
your starter can go out there and pitch well. And if the bullpen doesn't do its job, you're going to lose. And that's, that's how the game has changed. And it's been interesting for me to, when I came in back in 1959, to see the change in the culture of the game. And you're going to see some other changes, subtle changes that I don't want to get into right now down the road that uh, the people have never seen before in Major League Baseball. Well, Hawk, the White Sox certainly have an assortment of young talent, especially in the arms down in the minor leagues. But interesting to watch them grow. Be interesting to see the whole process grow. Thanks so much for, for hanging out. Really appreciate it. All right, Connor, my pleasure, buddy. That's Hawk Harrelson hanging out with us here on White Sox Weekly. It's the broadcaster's edition of the show. You can head to the park for dollar hot dogs every Wednesday home game through the rest of the season. This unbeatable deal starts on August 2nd as the Sox take on the Blue Jays. So get your tickets today. Purchase tickets by visiting WhiteSox.com or by calling 866-SOX-GAME. White Sox and the Indians coming up. We'll start the pregame show at 535. We're going to take a quick break. Be back with more. We will continue the broadcaster's edition of White Sox Weekly right here on WLS AM 890. Join us on Saturday, August 12th, as the Sox take on the Kansas City Royals at 6.10 p.m. The first 15,000 in attendance will receive a specially designed cap that brings the White Sox and the iconic Chicago flag together. Visit WhiteSox.com to get your tickets today. You're listening to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We're doing a broadcaster's edition of the show. We've talked with Jason Benetti, and we've talked with Hawk Harrelson both here on the show this afternoon. We'll talk with Ed Farmer and Darren Jackson in a little bit. we got the news at 4.30, so we'll get back to some of our interviews a little bit later here. The lineups are out for the White Sox and Indians coming up. Pre-game show will start in one hour, ten minutes, 5.35. We'll get things going here on this, uh, this station. And Melky Cabrera is in the leadoff spot for the White Sox. And I think you'll probably hear a similar theme. You know, we talked with Jason Benetti uh, earlier in the show, and I, I asked if any one thing has surprised him more than more than another about the White Sox and the moves that they've made over the last three weeks or so. And he said the fact that Melky Cabrera has not been snagged by a contending team was a surprising thing to him. I would imagine Ed and perhaps DJ will say something similar too, especially considering the quality of all player Melky has been, particularly over the last two months, but in his career in general, too. Uh, White Sox just coming off the field here. They're done hitting and taking infield. Indians have moved on to the field here at guaranteed rate. So we got another uh, another game coming up this evening. Miguel Gonzalez and Corey Kluber going to be your starters for this one. Uh, Miguel coming off a really nice outing, seven and a third innings of one-run ball against the Cubs. Hopefully he can keep it up because this White Sox bullpen could use a little bit of rest. Nice to get multiple innings out of two relievers last night. Chris Beck and Juan Manaya both worked more than two. Well, Manaya worked two and Beck worked two and two-thirds. Uh, you got to get a little bit of depth out of somewhere with the way the White Sox starting pitching has been just a little bit short in innings of late. Uh, hopefully Miguel is able to get a little deeper into the ball game than the rotation has been able to get uh, over the last four or five trips through it. You can also, I want to let you know this before we get out of here, uh, Friday, August 11th is Rock and Roll Night, presented by Guaranteed Rate as the Chicago White Sox take on the Kansas City Royals. That's at 7.10 p.m. You can join us as we rock out to live cover bands before and during the game. Plus, 
be sure to stay for the post-game fireworks show. Had one last night. It's always awesome out here. To purchase tickets to that game, visit WhiteSox.com. We get the 4.30 news coming up in just a minute. When we come back, we'll hear from Ed Farmer, and we'll talk with Darren Jackson, too. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We got you for the next hour. In fact, an hour exactly before we start the White Sox pregame show. Sox and Indians set to do battle here. Game two of a three-game series right here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Uh, doing Broadcasters Week on the show this afternoon. We have spoken with Hawk Harrelson. We've spoken with Jason Benetti about the White Sox, really their last month and the the coming months as well, looking back only a little into the past and looking a lot into the future is really this trade deadline will kind of start to turn up page for the White Sox and in, in what, for what stage they're in in the real building process that they've gone down uh, starting last winter with the trade of Chris Sale and Adam Eaton on consecutive days and then heading all the way up until the latest trade of Dan Jennings out of the bullpen to the Tampa Bay Rays and Anthony Swarzak to the Brewers. Of course, that big deal with the Yankees and the one that said in Jose Quintana to the Cubs, too. So, you know, a lot to get to and a lot to go about. And there could be more, too. You know, we still have uh, a couple of days. The 31st, in fact, is uh, the last day before the deadline, end of July, as it almost always is. Um, and, and we'll see if perhaps a piece or two more are moved off the White Sox roster for younger talent. It, it does seem to be uh, that, that Rick Hahn and the White Sox are still open for business. That's kind of been the phrase here at the ballpark that's been uttered more often than not. A guy like Melky Cabrera probably uh, could be enticing for a number of teams looking for a little bit more depth in the outfield, a team that's looking for somebody who can give you a professional at bat just about every time. That's kind of the way Ricky Renteria, manager of the White Sox, has phrased Melky Cabrera's work this season. Really all his career, too. Uh, RBI Baseball 2017 is out now for Xbox One, PS4, iOS, and Android. You can enjoy fast-paced pick-up-and-play MLB action packed with all your favorite MLB teams, players, ballparks, and much more. Your breakout MLB season is here. You better come ready to play. Learn more at rbigame.com. That's rbigame.com. Ed Farmer loves RBI baseball on his MLB app. I know it for a fact. I had a chance to sit down with him yesterday and talk a bit uh, about the things that you know we wanted to get to here on Broadcaster. We can get everybody's perspective on this. So here we are, uh, our sit-down here on White Sox Weekly with the voice of the White Sox, Ed Farmer. So we're sitting down with Ed Farmer here on Broadcaster's Week on White Sox Weekly. Ed, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate you stopping by, as always. Connor, thanks for asking. So... We're looking back at the last month or so yeah. of White Sox baseball and, and what the organization's been doing. And I'm wondering this, if at any point what the White Sox have committed to do has surprised you over the last month. No, they said they were going to do this. The fans were well aware of it. And uh, we've lost a lot of guys this year to the disabled list that were performing well the first month and a half or two months. And then all of a sudden things started to slide you have to make a decision, and that was made by Kenny Williams, the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, and also the general manager, Rick Hahn, along with the front office personnel. We're going to go younger, and we're going to go now for the most part. There's some contracts that are certainly there that are larger than most, but you're committed to those people as well. What I like about the organization making these moves, each one of the guys that we send someplace, they have a chance to win right now. 
And I think you do that for your players because each one of the guys, starting with Sale, you may not agree with some of the things he did, but he was out there in a White Sox uniform trying to win for us. Quintana going over to the Cubs, that was a big one. Yeah. Give them a chance. And when you look at getting Moncada from the Boston Red Sox and some of the guys we got from the Washington Nationals, you got 10 guys or 11 guys now in the top 100 in all the minor leagues in baseball. That doesn't mean you're going to win with them. That means if you get half of those counter to the big leagues and they perform well, you're doing real well. If you get anything more than that, it's a bonus. You've been on the talent evaluation yeah. side of things in this game. I, I wonder what is the most difficult part of being on that side knowing that you're going to have to ship out some really quality major league talent and now your task, let's say, with finding the guys that make this worth the trade. I think one, two of the guys that left us lately anyway, Frazier and also Robertson, mm -hmm. those are two quality individuals where Frazier's your leader in the clubhouse. He was the captain of the team. Those two guys, you, you replace them maybe on the field a little bit. But you don't replace those personalities in a clubhouse. They can take care of business, or the manager really shouldn't do that. And when you look at some players, look at the Cubs with Rizzo at first base. I don't even know the guy, but I'm going to tell you something. He's one of their leaders across the diamond also is Bryant. These guys can do some things that energize everybody in their lineup. We're looking for that individual, that makeup of the guy that says, you know what, I'm not quitting right now. One thing about Renteria's club here, they don't quit. They score runs late, may not win the games. We're not winning a lot of games, but they're going to play all night and they're going to run as hard as they can. With a bullpen the way the White Sox is right now, a lot of young guys. We saw Aaron Bummer make yes. his major league debut against the Cubs, and I, you know the stuff looked good. He gives up a home run to Kyle Schwarber. A lot of guys are going to give up home runs to him, but he strikes out Anthony Rizzo, yes. too. Is it is it about finding those lessons and those carrots for those young players at this point? I think it is to a certain degree, Connor. When, when you look at what he did, he, he was a 19th pick, I think, 19th round pick. You build your draft from, uh, say, the middle of the fifth or sixth round to 18 or 19. If you get one of those guys 18 or 19, a lot of guys say, I'm going to college, I'm not going to sign right now, and they go a little later. Sometimes you draft those guys, and then you give an offer they can't refuse, and they go, okay, I'm foregone. I'm going to go to junior college, but I'm going to play baseball in the summer for right. the White Sox. Uh, you make that uh, statement to them, and they sign with you. Other teams, they can't get them signed. With some of these young kids as they come up, not just Yohan Mankata, yeah. but you know, we look through the next couple of weeks, and I'm sure there will be some young talent coming up here from AAA Charlotte. What's the biggest thing that Ricky Renneria has to get out of those guys? Or, or maybe a better way to put it is the lesson that those young men have to learn and that Ricky has to make sure that they understand when they arrive here. Renneria has put this in place. The guys are going to hustle yeah. all the way through the organization. He doesn't have to worry about them not running to first base. You get to the big leagues, you're running everywhere. I don't care if they say, hey, come on, we've got a post-game meal in there. They're all running for that, too. Um, they've been taught in the minor leagues, up through the minor leagues. This is how the White Sox are going to play baseball. His biggest thing is to find out the personalities. Not easily done. You want to find out who's going to stand tall when everything starts going the wrong way and who can stop that, you know, stop that line of movement that they have going where seven or eight guys bat. You build your bullpen from a closer towards the starting rotation. Build a closer, then you get somebody who's the bridge to him, then you get a guy that's a middleman, and then a guy, a long guy in the bullpen. You might have two of those. Then you got four or five starters. They should be your best pitchers uh, as far as starting a ball game. So 
you look at that. You don't always get that, Connor, but you're going to come close to it. And you've got three starters out of the five that can give you quality starts of six innings. You're way ahead of the game. Hawk talked a bit about the importance of the bullpen in this game right yeah. now. And, and I wondered, you know, with, with as volatile as those arms can be, I mean, there are a few. Yeah. Your Millers, your Britons, who are good year to year to year. But for the most part, there are a lot of guys who are very good, okay, bad, yes. okay again. How, how do you, as an organization, commit to building a bullpen in this day and age? That's a great question. Um, uh, fearlessness. That's one thing I look for in a guy's eyes. Um, what he does in a certain situation, um, he can't get careless out there. We, we tend to get a little careless with young pitchers. There's a lot of pitchers that have had success everywhere else they've been except professional baseball, and they start wanting not to give up a hit. So they move the ball around, but they're not strikes. All of a sudden, they're 2-0 and or 3-0 and or 3-1. and They're pitching behind. Unless he can get his uh, less-than-dominant pitch over at 3-1 and or 3-2, and can't pitch for you in the big leagues. you got to teach him how to pitch. First pitch strikes, second pitch strikes, and on. I don't believe in wasting a pitch. Make a pitch to a corner, make it up and in on two strikes. We build this game on time now. How long? What was the time of the game? What did we do here at this time? We need to remember what we're doing and how we're going to do it. If a guy has some fear, I think that's okay. If he has a lot of fear, that's not okay because he's going to sit down and he's going to say, you know, I really don't want to do this. When you look at specifically to the uh, the big league level here, we've seen Carlos Rodon make a handful Man. of starts. Uh, the strikeouts have He's got been a wonderful arm, amazing to watch. What's yeah. what's the next step for him as we kind of close out this 2017? Because the injuries have been kind of tough for him to gain traction. Learning how to pitch. Yeah, yeah. He's a young guy with a great arm. He gets it. He knows what he's doing. He's yet to find out how to pitch, but he's learning. I'm going to tell you something. He's learning real fast. He's going to find as he found out the other day. One guy got a ball out of the infield on him on a fly ball to right. That was the only one. If you're scouting them and they're in college, you sign the guy who hit the ball out uh, to right field. <laughs> Rodon did, did a nice job, but he's got to also, remember, made some mistakes. Guys are going to make mistakes whether or not they take advantage of them or not. He's learning. He's learning real fast. He's got a bright future. Ed, appreciate it as always. Great talking with you. All right, Connor. Nice to see you. Thanks. That's Ed Farmer, our play-by-play man here on WLS AM 890. It's Broadcasters Week, and that'll continue. We'll have Darren Jackson on in just a few. You can join us for Star Wars Night on Saturday, August 26th, as the Sox take on the Tigers at 6.10 p.m. The first 15,000 in attendance will take home a White Sox Stormtrooper bobblehead. Plus, stick around for a post-game fireworks show presented by Magellan Corporation. Purchase tickets today by visiting WhiteSox.com. We're calling 866-SOX-GAME. We'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, like I mentioned, Darren Jackson will join us. We'll uh, walk through the minor league report, too. A lot of uh, impressive performances. I'll tell you what, there's one kid just got promoted up to AAA Charlotte and has not stopped hitting since he got there. Just a really great start to his AAA career. And as we look through, something we talked with Jason Benetti about right off uh, pretty close to the top of the show, Sure, the White Sox have amassed a number of 10, in fact, top 100-type guys, right? Players that organizations like MLB Pipeline and Baseball Prospectus and Baseball America have all consensusly, probably not a word, but we'll use it here, kind of in consensus put into your top 100 prospects, right? They're on everybody's radar one way or another. But there's going to be, and there always is, there's going to be a guy kind of comes out of nowhere, evolves and emerges from 
a, a, a off the backfields kind of look. I mean, whether it's you know a guy like Corey Kluber is going to start today for the Indians, who did not have the type of prospect shine leading up to his really even his Cy Young year just a couple of years ago. That that happens all across baseball, and uh, and perhaps we see one of those guys come up at some point later this season when the rosters expand. We might even not know. We might even not know that it'll uh, that he's the guy until uh, much later, because September baseball is kind of a weird thing in uh, from the get go. Uh, when we come back, Darren Jackson of the White Sox broadcast joins us here on White Sox Weekly. You've got WLS AM eight ninety. So welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM eight ninety. You can get involved with the show. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. Or you can uh, give us a follow on Twitter. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. And if you leave messages throughout the week, we'll pick them up, put them in the mailbag, and address some of the issues that you want to uh, to hear talked about here on the show. You can also find gems on there. Like, I'm sorry, I'm, just, I'm trying to hold back. Uh, Jason Benetti just stopped by the booth for a second time this afternoon. That's a rare occurrence here on White Sox Weekly. I had him on earlier in the show. It is Broadcasters Week, after all, here on White Sox Weekly. Talked with Jason, talked with Hawk, we talked with Ed Farmer just a couple of minutes ago, and we will, uh, just after the 5 o'clock news, play our conversation with Darren Jackson. Didn't want to, you know, bug those guys right up to game time, so I got him yesterday and talked a little bit about the state of this organization and what they've seen over the last month or so, and what they expect for the future, too, not just the end of this season, but into next year and years to come. Uh, anyway, it is the celebration of the 1917 White Sox team today. It's uh, going back 100 years, and they're throwing it way, way back on the television broadcast. Uh, Benetti just walked in here. Jason just walked in with uh, wearing the suit he'll be wearing on the broadcast. So I, I took a picture of him and tweeted it out. It is... <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, thank God he's getting into the spirit of things. I think Stoney's wearing a suit as well. I, I saw Sierra Santos, who is, uh, of course, on the sideline during the broadcast. Uh, she has a, a very 1917 dress going on. It's one of the big frilly collar type things. Uh, it's, uh, they've got it all going on Comcast tonight, and they're throwing it all the way back. So we'll see. I, I think... I think Jason even said that some of the broadcasts will be in black and white tonight. We talked about actually doing our broadcast here on the radio in black and white as well, but realized that that wouldn't do anything, uh, and it would just sound exactly like it might have sounded in 1917. So our spirit is still there. Don't get me wrong. We're still celebrating the team. Uh, but it's just, you know, there's not a whole lot different. Radio was, I think, around in 1917, right? A little bit? Telegraph? Definitely. Either way. Either way, you got White Sox baseball coming up in just a little bit, and we're going to celebrate that squad. A uh, couple of things to tell you about before we um, before we move on here and get to DJ talking to us a little bit about this White Sox squad. A uh, little promo read for you. We told you about Star Wars night, and uh, but you know what? It looks like the computer has completely stopped on me. Doesn't that always happen to you? As soon as you need it, as soon as you need the thing to do anything, the infernal machine absolutely stops. We'll get you the minor league report. Uh, there it is. See, that's the noise. And that is the noise my computer is making. It's falling out of the 
booth and everything. Oh, we got a uh, – here's what I'll tell you about instead while I wait for this computer to look. Because I, I want to do the minor league report, but obviously I don't want to do three minutes of the minor league report. And our conversation with DJ is going to take a little longer than three minutes. So we're just, we'll spin the wheels like that pinwheel that's on my computer screen right now. Uh, a Yohan Mankata foul ball came up into the booth yesterday. And there it is. There's, that, there's our computer trying to reboot and fill things. Uh, a Yohan Mankata foul ball came up here into the booth yesterday. And it uh, it was – Abraham Almonte hit one last year that was an absolute laser. I was barely able to get out of the way in time. It would have killed me. The Mankata one a little easier, caught it, and then looked down, and I, I was going to toss it to a, a young Sox fan, a, a, a kid that was out here cheering on the Sox. And I, I underhanded the ball down into the, uh, the, the, the aisle that goes down because I, I wanted it to bounce before it got to, I presume it was his dad sitting there next to him in the seats. I wanted it to bounce so that they had time to kind of, you know, collect themselves and see it. It's a weird angle, very high up in the whole thing. And I made sure to point the kid out and make sure that everyone around him knew that this ball was, was intended for, for this young man. And I, I was appalled and really worried when, you know, I... I Launched the thing down there. Nice little underhand toss. It bounced once, and somebody else picked it up. I didn't see what, you know, fan, what type of fan this guy was, whether he was a Sox fan or an Indians fan or somebody else, but he, he snagged the ball before it could get to the dad or the kid. And I was worried, I was worried at first. I shouted, and I, I think this man just didn't know that I – he just didn't see me pointing out the kid. I, I, there was some yelling. I think some fans corrected him, and the ball ended up with the kid. Yeah, it was – there was uh, there was definitely some yelling. Uh, the ball ended up with the kid, and I I just thought maybe if that dad or that kid is a White Sox weekly listener, uh, let us know. Get to us either on Twitter or, or call the show and let us know. I I just it'd be nice to know that that ball got to you, and and I want to make sure that you got your souvenir because goodness, I we got enough baseballs rolling around up here, uh, and I figure we got to get them out to the people who, who don't have baseballs rolling on all over the place. Um, when we come back. We'll have our conversation with Darren Jackson. We will also uh, get you a minor league report. Let me do the lineup right now in case you're driving into the ballpark and uh, are making out your scorebooks on the dashboard while driving. That's very dangerous, but maybe you can hand it off to somebody else while they do it. Melky Cabrera leads off and left. Yomer Sanchez DHs. Jose Abreu at first. Yohan Mancata is at second. Matt Davidson at third. Omar Narvaez catching. Alan Hansen is in right. Tim Anderson at short. And Adam Engel is in center field for the White Sox. Bradley Zimmer in center and leading off for the Indians. Francisco Lindor at short. Michael Brantley in left. Edwin Encarnacion DHs. Jose Ramirez at third. He had himself quite a night last night. Carlos Santana at first. Austin Jackson in right. Jan Gomes catching Eric Gonzalez at second base. Uh, we will return right after the 5 o'clock news here on White Sox Weekly. You've got WLS AM 890, so stick around. You can join the White Sox in honoring Chicago area police and fire departments on Thursday, August 10th for Fire and Police Night. The first 10,000 fans receive a special Police and Fire Night commemorative T-shirt presented by UL. For more than a century, UL has been committed to fire safety. Learn more at ul.com slash fire to purchase tickets. Visit whitesox.com slash pdfd. That's whitesox.com slash pdfd. Or, as always, Call 866-SOX-GAME. We're wrapping up Broadcaster Week here on White Sox Weekly. We spoke with Hawk Harrelson. We spoke with Jason Benetti. We spoke with Ed Farmer. And now 
we've got our conversation with Darren Jackson, who does obviously the analyst work on our broadcast here on WLS. Kind of a wide-ranging conversation, but it focused in on what the White Sox have been up to specifically the last month or so. Here it is, our sit-down with uh, DJ. We get a chance to sit down with White Sox analyst Darren Jackson here on White Sox Weekly. DJ, it's Broadcasters Week here on the show. Appreciate you hanging out, talking a little baseball with us. want to ask you this first and foremost. Last month has been transformative for the White Sox, and I wonder if anything about it has surprised you more than anything else. Um, no. Uh, other than this, there's one thing I can say has surprised me, that Melky Cabrera hasn't been moved. He's a one piece that I would think that some team would look at and realize as professional a hitter he is and what he can do for you defensively with his arm, um, discourage potential base runners, things like that. Um, he could be a positive addition for somebody. So I'm surprised that he's still here because there's some value there for a playoff contender. What then is next for this process? Not necessarily the move that has to come next, but as the White Sox, as an organization, as, as a group of, of players now, not just the 25 men on the Major League roster, what has to happen next for this team to take another step? Well, the number one thing organizationally is, is they have to be patient. That's unfortunate, but you have to now know that the only way these players are going to get better is with experience. You have to let them learn at the minor league level, uh, the guys that aren't quite ready to be here yet, so when they get here, they don't make mistakes in front of all the crowds. They're expecting them to start winning now. Uh, that's why you see somebody like Jan Mancata get called up later in the year after everybody's screaming for him to be here early. He needed to get the repetitions down there and minimize his mistakes and come up here and then... You can handle the plays up here with the pressure of being a big league player. So I think you have to be patient organizationally. But then another thing you're going to also see, what we've been seeing a lot of this year, is still being taught our players at the big league level. And that's not normal because most teams, they bring in one or two or three young players that might be rookies. Right. And all the rest have got enough experience or they're veterans to where you don't really have to teach them. They know what to do. They must mess everything up and you'll say, you know what you did? They go, yeah. But you're actually still teaching these players here and now. So those are the two things right now that I see for this organization that are going to continue for the next couple of years. How does the coaching staff work around that, uh, I don't want to say burden, but that different challenge of having so many young players for these last two months? Well, I think really it's you have the right people in place. Simple yeah. as that. And we do. We have the right coaching staff in place. Their expectations are for them to minimize their mistakes. And that's the key. You don't want to keep repeating the same mistakes. If you're overthrowing the cutoff man, they're going to have you out here working on it and say, don't do that anymore. But the key is, how do you make them realize the importance of not missing the cutoff man? Because it's their enthusiasm and energy that takes over when the play is actually taking place, and then they do it again. The minute they let go of the ball thinking, I can get this guy, oh, man, I couldn't get him. So their heart's in the right place, these players, but you've got to get this coaching staff to get them to understand it's really important that you show us you understand what we're teaching you. Otherwise, we will have to send you back down yeah. to where you can continue to make your mistakes until you stop. But you can't keep doing it at the big league level. Talk with White Sox analyst Darren Jackson here on White Sox Weekly. DJ, do you, when you were playing from your days as a player, do you remember seeing anything quite like this on either organizations you were with or others? And if it was, you know, the teams that you looked at from afar and saw them kind of going through a process like that, 
you remember thinking any one thing about a team going through something as sweeping as the White Sox have chosen to go through? Yeah, I mean, I've seen it. Um, you know, you could think back to after the Marlins won the World Series. Sure. Um, however long ago that uh, I believe it was Wayne Izinga said, everybody must go <laughs> because they didn't even sell out the postseason. 97, just, yeah, right? They Hernandez yeah. and they weren't yeah. they weren't drawing in. They, he said, I brought you a championship. So gone. Everybody was gone. And. You know, I felt bad for that organization yeah. having to do that because he did, as an owner, say, I brought you a championship and you're still not going to come out and watch this team play? I'm done with you. So, you know, when you see that from afar, you're going, ooh, this is a guy that's really trying to give the fans something and they don't appreciate it. Now, I've seen the opposite where you have had teams. Not, I've never was on a team that went through this kind of rebuild, not completely like this. But I've seen teams across the field go through it, and honestly, I, I used to look as a player going, ooh, that's painful. It's, yeah. plain, it's painful to watch because you know some of the talent that you're looking at on the field right then really shouldn't be there. So what is the, then the next step of that then, I imagine, is as you see a team as a player again, as you see a team slowly start to make those next steps, and now you see some young burgeoning talent. Maybe you're a free agent. Maybe you're a guy who's you know coming up to that step in his career. You start to think, Maybe that's a club I can fit on here. Maybe that's a club that will win a team. When do you, as an opposing player, realize that team's got it? They might not be there yet, but that team's got it. I think what that takes is some selling from the front office when they're sitting there saying, hey, look, we want you here. This is why. You're going to be part of this rebuild. You're going to be a veteran that's going to be able to teach these young players. You're going to help them with your experience. You have to be a good salesman to get a good veteran player to be a mix of this young, youthful talent. And they've got to have vision. That player's got to have the vision and the patience to go, you know what, I see it. I'm 29 years old. I can be here for the next five years, mm -hmm. and that's when this team's going to start winning. I'll be part of that. So you got to find the right guy that has that attitude. But if you do, it's mainly because a guy's not expecting to win right now. He sees the long-term advantages of being on a team like this, and he's also going to be helpful because those players – are going to learn from him, and they're going to have. He's going to have that legacy with those players. So, to that end, kind of the long term here, not this off season, obviously, but next, it's a ridiculous class of free agent players. Now, we'll see if any of them get signed to extensions. Maybe Bryce Harper, maybe Manny Machado. But as the White Sox go through this with some of the young and identifiable talent, I mean, we've got some big names in AAA now who are very close. Yoan Mankata is already here. Can you can you do one as an organization and do the other? Can you look to make that big splash considering the names that might be there in that next offseason? I'd say yes. The reason I'd say that is because you have to look at the history of the organization. They're a team that wants to win now, yeah. still. It's been a long time since they've gone through this kind of rebuild. you got to go back to 97 or 98 right? Um, when the big trade uh, you know, to the Giants and everything. But, yeah, with that being said, Jerry Reinsdorf, the chairman here, is not a guy that wants to go through a long, painful process. If he sees this is going to turn the right direction to win in a year or two years, three years, he's got no problem bringing in the proper veteran guys to, to help this team get over the and become championships again because, ultimately, that's what he's looking for, to win championships here, not just be entertaining. DJ, we'll end it with this. You've seen, either in spring training or here this season, uh, a number of players come through, young guys. Is there a name, is there a ball player that you've liked more than you thought you would? You know, a guy that's not of Yohan Mankata's stature, but a young ball player who's maybe made an impression on you that you maybe, you know, oh, that's a really interesting next step for that young man. Well, you mentioned Yohan Mankata because I watched him intently during spring training because of all the hype, and I thought, I thought that, he, without a question, he has the ability to be here and be a star. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, there wasn't anybody else that had the same kind of attention, but we picked up a lot of other guys later. So there's a lot of those other guys right now that I don't know well enough to really make an assessment because I wasn't there for every game. Sure. So to make a one-game assessment or watch this, it's kind of tough. But I, I've, I still know that there's some guys down there. I've looked at their numbers. That and I'm sitting here, and it surprises me because I really liked Zach Collins' approach at the plate. Yeah. And he's drawn a ton of walks, and mm-hmm. everybody talks about that. I'm surprised beyond all get-up that he has not hit well. I really am. I'm looking at the numbers of Berger down there right now. Yeah. He's swinging the bat with authority, but that's a small sample size. But I am surprised in a, in a, in a negative way that, uh, that Collins hasn't hit better. Uh, at the major league level, I know you've mentioned Adam Engel's outfield play is pretty impressive. How, how have you assessed him so far? It's a position you played. Well, defensively, he's fine. You know, you never worry about him. And he's got a good arm. He takes good routes, good reads, all that stuff. Um, and another thing that I've been pretty impressed is he can turn on a fastball. Yeah. And you know what? There, there haven't been enough young guys getting back to the big leagues that turn on fastballs. He's gonna from there. He's got to still learn to make the adjustment to the off-speed stuff. Maybe a little quicker. He needs needs to do that right now. Pick moments and look for the off-speed stuff. But defensively, he's off the charts. And offensively, I think he's got a chance to figure it out. DJ, really appreciate you sitting down for broadcast week. Of course, Connor. My pleasure. That's Darren Jackson, and that wraps up broadcast week here on White Sox Weekly. We got a little bit left to go. We wouldn't uh, we wouldn't leave you without a minor league report. We'll do that when we come back. Before we take a quick break, though, tell Sox fans that you don't want to miss the White Sox signature podcast, The Cycle. Comedian and Chicagoan Pat McGann, along with a rotating group of co-hosts, chats with athletes and celebrities about sports, life, and everything in between. Subscribe via your podcast app today. Farm Report's coming up next. This is White Sox Weekly on WLSAMA 90. What the hell's going on out here? White Sox Weekly Farm Report. We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove, and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Candlesticks always make a nice gift, and uh, maybe to find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or a silverware pen. On WLS AM 890. Okay, let's get to it. Yes, welcome back to White Sox Weekly. This is our Farm Report segment. We'll do a deep dive to the White Sox minor leagues, tell you who's been hot, who's been a little cold, who's right in the middle, too. We'll go all the way down to the uh, Advanced Rookie League down in Great Falls. Although, there's probably a real quick note that we should get out of the way here in the Farm Report on Lurie Garcia. He has been playing in the Arizona Rookie League. Uh, that, of course, at the White Sox facilities there at uh, Camelback Ranch and whatnot. He is 4 of 9 down in the Arizona Rookie League, and it sounds like he's going to be headed to a rehab stop somewhere in the White Sox minor league system either today or tomorrow. Yet to confirm that, but it does look as though uh, he's headed out from Phoenix and into uh, one of those upper-level areas Lurie's been out for quite some time, and for the White Sox, you know, you could certainly use another stick to lengthen that lineup some. Adam Engel has been real good in center field defensively, but now with Avi Garcia on the disabled list, too, perhaps you could see an Engel-Cabrera-Lurie outfield uh, if Melky Cabrera does not move at the deadline, and and that would be the first time we'd see it and be pretty interesting, too, to go ahead and watch. One of the guys, we mentioned this earlier on in the show, one of the guys who had just gotten promoted a couple of games ago, nine games ago, in fact, up to AAA Charlotte to take the place of Yohan Mankata, who came up here to play for the White Sox, is Jake Peter. He has recorded a hit in each 
of his nine games with the Knights. He's hitting 447 with four doubles, four home runs, and nine runs batted in. The hit streak goes actually back an extra nine games. As he left Birmingham, he was on a nine-game heater. When he got to Charlotte, he started another nine-game heater, although for him it's probably just like three weeks of seeing the baseball as big as a beach ball. Jake Peter has been on fire lately. In general, Ronaldo Lopez doing pretty well down in that AAA league. Ranks fourth in strikeouts, 117. Sixth in inning pitched, 111. Lopez has really been on a good go recently. And I think, a little bit of speculation here, but I, I, if I had to pick an arm that came up next for the White Sox you know, that maybe beats the September roster expansion, I'd have to put my money on Ronaldo Lopez. Uh, Lucas Giolito, though, doing pretty well himself. A little bit of ups and downs over the last month. But really, it's, he's come together since the end of, I want to say probably the end of May, probably a good point, maybe the middle of June, really things have started to come together and gel for Lucas Giolito. He's fifth in the International League in strikeouts with 112. Down to double A, that's been Michael Kopech's league. I mean, really, the kid has virtually owned the thing. Since the calendar flipped over to June, perhaps, his last outing was terrific. Six innings, 12 strikeouts, one earned run. The outing before that, on the 20th of July, eight innings and eight strikeouts. He went real deep in that game. No runs either. Game before that, six innings and five strikeouts. Had two kind of weird ones in the middle of that. Three innings and three and a third as he struggled to kind of gain his command, but... You know, looking back through the list and, and some of those game logs, some of those starts, it's kind of it's crazy to see the whip, walks and hits per innings pitch, drop from 1.35-ish down a whole 10 points. Now it's 1.25 here at the end of July. And tonight for AAA, it'll be Carson Fulmer starting. For AA, it will be, and get it one second here, they're going to play... Chattanooga, and we'll have on the mound, it'll be uh, Tanner Banks, and uh, Michael Kopech will get his start a little later in the week. Uh, Winston-Salem was postponed last night. Zach Collins, as we just talked about with DJ, tied for third in walks in that league, fifth in home runs, but the average has, has not been up, and whether that's a little bit of you know some spells where he goes through some swing and miss, that's certainly been there. Uh, some poor contact, he certainly had that as well. But it's it's strange, the season that Zach Collins is having, in that the eye at the plate is pretty decent. You know, obviously 65 walks doesn't come completely by accident. They're walking him, and he's letting it happen. Uh, and the power has been there. The consistent average has not. And whether that's an approach thing or whether that's uh, something different, we'll find out over the next couple of months once we uh, talk to Zach at the end of the year. But it's certainly been kind of a, a strange one for Zach Collins in his first full go in the White Sox minor leagues. Jake Berger has burst onto the scene at Class A Kannapolis, spent a couple of days in the uh, in the Arizona Rookie League, and then was promoted to Kannapolis along with Gavin Sheets. Remember, Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets, the first and second round picks for the White Sox this year. Berger had a second consecutive three-hit night, fifth three-hit night of his season. He's 21 of 55. <laughs> At Kannapolis so far with seven doubles, a dinger, a triple, seven runs batted in, five walks over 16 games. He has been real good as Jake Berger. 
That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. The pregame show starts in just a few minutes, 535. We'll get that going. But before we go, Sox fans, you win with Papa John's Pizza all season long. The day after the Sox win, you get 50% off your entire online order of regular menu-priced items only at PapaJohns.com when you use promo code SOXWIN. Valid at participating Papa John's locations. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. I'm Connor McKnight. Pre-game show starts in 10. Thanks to Don Kleppen. Thanks to Michael Garay. Thanks to Tyler Bravo. Thanks to Dave Zaslowski and the whole crew of producers down there. Jonathan Bregman probably helped as well. It takes a village. Keep it right here. White Sox baseball is next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.